We are brought to you by Hidden Gem Design Company. Uh, they're a local startup here in Salt Lake. Uh, they make custom hand stamp necklaces from high quality sterling and gold filled materials. Um, they have something for everybody. In fact, I just got my wife one the other day with the initials of our two children on it and it looked amazing. They're a minimalist necklace. They've got a lot of things to offer. So go check them out. Uh, their Etsy shop, um, etsy.com uh, forward slash hidden gem design co and make sure that you grab something and tell them that the thinking project sent you because these necklaces are absolutely fantastic uh, like i said high quality uh, they can do custom orders um, and the best of all you're supporting locals so go check them out hidden gem design co we are brought to you by Happiest. Happiest is your number one place to go for premium CBD products that will not break the bank. And guys, I've used these products for a long time. There's a lot of CBD out there. So uh, why I like it is uh, if you're a first time user to CBD, you're going to be able to get some of the best quality stuff out there without... Uh, spending all the money. They're about 50 to 60% less than some of the big guys for the, for the quality and the quantity that you get. So check them out. They have a number two, uh, daily use broad spectrum oil. That's fantastic. They have a number eight sleep aid, which is phenomenal. And their number 14 freeze roll on for your aches and pains, muscles and joints is absolutely incredible. So there's something for everybody there. Definitely go check them out. Happiestmed.com. Uh, save some money on a buddy pack uh, or just grab a couple for yourself. I mean, guys, you're not going to regret this. And if you're a veteran user, you're going to get the potency and the CBD that you love, again, without breaking the bank. So you don't have to sacrifice the quality. So make sure you go check them out. Happiestmed.com. And tell them the Thinking Project sent you. All right, guys. So today I had the awesome opportunity to interview Mark A. Smith. Um, before I introduce him, just want to give a shout out to everybody who's followed, uh, everybody who's left a review, all that good stuff. It really helps me out. Um, so if you're listening to this on Apple and if my analytics are telling me the truth, uh, most of you are. So if you haven't hit the subscribe button or left a rate, and review. Please do. That helps me out a ton. I'm still in the new and noteworthy podcast uh, uh, definition. So uh, anything you can do to help me out there would be appreciated. Follow me on Instagram at Dalton K. Jensen. Um, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, join the Facebook group, all that good stuff. So, uh, and if you don't have anything to do this Wednesday night, please come to Wise Guys. I'll be doing stand-up at 6.30 there. Uh, something new that I'm trying. So if you're not, uh, if you're in the area, if you're in the Salt Lake area, it'll be Wise Guys at Salt Lake City, 6.30. So uh, go definitely go check that out. But today I got to interview Mark Smith. He's a LinkedIn influencer. He's a management consultant, small business investor, public speaker, writer. Uh, he does a lot of cool things on Instagram, um, has a really big following there. But because he gives a lot of really good insight, like this interview was, uh, it was through Zoom. So there was a few technical difficulties. So uh, bear with us on that. But overall, uh, it was amazing. Uh, you'll get an amazing amount of knowledge from this. So without further ado, Mark Smith. Welcome, everybody. This is Don Jensen, and you're tuning into The Thinking Project. Yeah, it totally is. Is that the adult version of the race car bed that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, who is it? It, it was, uh, Ricky Schroeder on silver spoons. Right. <laughs> the 
score bed that we all wanted. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> I was That's like, cool. I need I need one for my my back that'll last forever. And this one looked way cool. So I was like, let's do it. Can I give you a I'll give you a gripe I have with car companies. All right, deal. So most of us, you know, we we have two seater, four seater, eight seater cars, but we spend probably ninety-five percent of our time by ourselves in our cars. Sure. Yeah, exactly. The driver's seat on the left side of the of the seat always gets worn down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So number one, they need to either reinforce that, or they need to make it so the um, the driver and the passenger bucket seats simply can be interchanged. So if you switched <laughs> your driver and your passenger seat, yeah. and you just rotated them like your tires, every you would never have the issue that you have with the wearing down of the left side of the driver's seat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I totally get that. It's so funny too because I worked at Honda forever, and uh, and uh, yeah, that was always the one thing. It was like the front seat was always one of the things, and I was like, "Ah, there's nothing I could do. (laughs) There's nothing. If you sell a used car, someone says, "What about this seat?" And you're like, "Well, someone sat in it. What am I supposed to do?" So, anyways. Well, hey, thanks for being here, Mark. I really appreciate it. You got it. I'm coming. (laughs) <laughs> sorry about that but <laughs> you're good no i totally uh, you're busy we, guy. We, made, we made it happen so that's right uh i'm gonna start getting this set up real quick just so we can go live my private facebook group only has like 300 people in it but they're like the the fans so it's always fun to i like to do cool. these when we go live but uh <laughs> yeah i'm not on facebook but if you can if you want to throw a live that's fine with me okay cool and i won't uh, say anything horrible to career <laughs> i'm not or mine i yeah, no, no, you're totally good. I've had some crazy interviews live on here where we're like live on Facebook and I'm like, oh, but <laughs> too late, man. We're rolling. So I, I guess it is what it is. Yeah. And uh, it's and I really appreciate it, too, because I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while. And then I actually interviewed Tanner Elliott. Um, Tanner, oh. Tanner Elliott and I grew up in the same stake in the same oh, state really? in Illinois, in Arizona. Oh, in Illinois, that's Illinois. right. Yeah, so I lived in Keokuk, Iowa, and he lived in um, Hannibal, Missouri. Wow. Yeah, small world. Yeah, Tanner's a good dude. I love Tanner. Yeah, I don't know if um, if it, I don't know if it's legal, but he in, he invests money for me. <laughs> I don't care. I don't think he's like an accredited financial planner, <laughs> but every now and then I just Venmo him cash, and he. And he and like uh, invest. He tells me whether or not we've made any money. <laughs> Good for you guys. I actually, I, I know you got the email, but that was one of the things that I was like, uh, wanted to talk to you about. Um, cause I think we're going, sure. I think we're live right now. Um, let's do it. I'm all about it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm all about it. But uh, one of the things that I've always been a proponent of, so a little background about me is I got my bachelor's degree in accounting. Um, I didn't want to go. Yeah. You're an accountant for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I did did that on the side while I was uh, going to car through my car sales thing and it helped pay for a little bit of my school. So I was able to do that. Um, And one of the things that I was always like really that I really didn't want to get into was like stocks and stuff like that. And I noticed that you um, pulled all your money out a while ago and started investing solely in small businesses. And that was something that I had always thought about doing like, cause small businesses, if they need 
and, and, I, and I'm sure we can talk about this, but you know, if, if a small business needs a thousand, 10,000, $15,000, like a bank's not really going to look at that a whole lot. Right. But some, but, and sometimes they have a really good idea or sometimes it's, it's there, but they need help. And I'm just wondering how you navigate through that. Well, truthfully, the intention was to invest only in small businesses. What it's really evolved into is investing in things that I, that I control. So it's, it's actually more difficult to place the money than it is to, you know, uh, than to make the money. You have to find investments and it can actually be difficult to do so because, you know, you start out with the first couple that you feel really comfortable with, and then you have a tough time meeting additional people who, and this is all the way through the investment world. I have have a friend who just raised a $150 million fund. Um, and, uh, it's, it's going extremely well. And, his only issue is, you know, just finding more places to put the money. Um, cause he has a pretty little niche, um, type of investment model. So what, what I did is I started with small businesses and then I've got my money being really just held in other stuff that I control outside yeah. of the stock market that when I find an investment, I have the, the capital to do it. Um, I actually just met with an old mentor of mine today and, um, and I didn't know that he was shutting down his business in retirement. And, oh. and I, I said, Oh my gosh, honestly, if I, if I had, if I had talked to him two months ago, I, I might've retired and just taken over his, his business. And <laughs> um, because I, because I, I loved his business so much, but small businesses are, they're really interesting because like you said, um, a lot of times they can be hang, hanging by a thread. Yeah. And all they need is this like kick and all, and all of a sudden they're doing fine yeah. and you might want to place $50,000 with them, but they couldn't do anything with the $50,000. Mm-hmm. They, they only need 10. Yeah. And then you start to think, well, all right, how do I structure this in a way that doesn't vulture your equity, but still gets me a return on my investment. And, you know, you have businesses that 10 grand makes a really big difference for them, Yeah. but it's not yeah. like, it's not like, you know, unless I was a loan shark, it wouldn't be appropriate to take a large chunk of equity. Yeah, so what we yeah. typically do is just structure it in a way that like I'll finance equipment or something like that. And I just basically say, you know, this is how soon I want to get paid back um, and how much I want to get paid back. And, and then there's a couple options, you know, you can pay me back in full or we can convert it into equity if that's something that you want to do, but I want at least this much paid back. Um, And uh, it's honestly, the the returns are great. It's just really hard to find where where to place the money um, because you almost have this like, you know, small investment amount of say five or 10,000 and then it jumps way up to the next level. There's not a lot of people who just need (laughs) you know, 20 or 25. And if they do, it's usually to, to buy a piece of equipment. Yeah. And or like a lot, a lot of times like. it's, it's better just to tell them where they can get the normal traditional financing for it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and I, I like that a lot. And that's something that like when I was telling people, cause I'm not like a financial advisor either, but stocks are just so, I mean, you can get real deep into it and, and, and I don't, and I know enough to, to, to have a good conversation with somebody, but I don't really like to go deep into it. But I, what I do like is I like finding these small business owners who are like, they, they have this really good idea, but they just don't know how to 
they just, you know what I mean? They're so close and you can tell they're so close. And if they just, and if you just had this little push, so what made you want to take it out of the stock market and what made you um, like, and what kind of businesses do you like and what made you choose those? Well, I took it out of the stock market because I, I don't like things that I don't really understand. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, there, I've made money in the stock market before um, and I've lost not a ton, but uh, enough to where it, it bothered me because I, I believe that I knew enough about those investments for them to be solid investments. Yeah. And so it just occurred to me that I could spend a tremendous amount of time learning about these things, or I could take my capital and I could control it myself by investing in small businesses that were available for me to invest in at the time. Yeah. yeah. And with other capital, just in invest in stuff that I understand like real estate. Um, you know, I like, um, I like things that are tangible. So, you know, when I've invested in businesses, one of the main things that's important to me is that they make money. I know that sounds like really glib, but I don't actually want to invest in a, in a startup idea of a, a freemium piece of software that might mm-hmm. start charging something six years from now because yeah, a yeah. founder wants to be a billionaire. That, that that's, that's great. A lot of people do that stuff. I don't want to do that. I want to, yeah. I want to help somebody who's already making sales of a product or service, yeah. make more sales of their product and service. And, um, because I know the stress of, of, um, uh, of owing somebody money, whether it's a, you know, a loan or an investment and the stress that it puts on you to, um, to get the, you know, to get their investment back to them, it changes the way you make decisions. And so what I've tried to do is only invest in people where if I give them the money, it immediately gets put to use doing something that is relatively understood and proven in their, in their model, but they just need some more capital to do it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then usually we find that time where, you know, they've, they've kind of hit that moment where they're past an investor like me and they really need to think about whether they're going to go all in on their business and go big or whether they're, it's going to stay a mom and pop sort of thing. You know, I have mm-hmm. somebody that I invested in that, um, you know, if, if he, if he wanted to, um, geez, in fact, Tanner's in some ways involved in this business, but if yeah. he wanted to, he could scale. It would be a matter of hiring some employees and us doing a little bit more business development for him. But yeah. he's, he's not at a point where he wants to do that. He, uh, he just, well, he wants to settle into it for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of get used to it. And, um, and uh, you know, personally, like when I hear the two things you're talking about, right. Like, I don't think it's glib. You want to make, you want to invest in people who are working. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and when just I say working, like, you know? yeah, yeah. There's something tangible. It, you, you can tell it's working. You can tell it's scalable. And, uh, and that's, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Cause I think a lot of business owners and, and I, you know, and I'm kind of in the middle where like I tell people to try anything that they want, like go out and see if it works because you got to get through the first four or five little things that you do and realize how to fix it and how it works and then and then move on to the big stuff. Right. Um, and 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 I always tell people too, like because I've heard you say this, too, um, but to like just start working with people and to start building stuff out and to start start processes. Right. Yeah, just I mean, honestly, go see if somebody will will purchase what you want to do. I mean, if an if an accountant came to me and said, 
you know, I'm, I'm fresh out of, you know, accounting school. I have my, my CPA. Yeah. I need an investor. I, and they, and they said, you know, their investment is they need to get a, you know, they need to get into their office space and they need to, you know, um, get some equipment to get their business started so they can start doing people's taxes and making money. Yeah. It makes it, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, even if it's like, you know, we need to do some marketing or biz dev, whatever that is. But if an accountant came to me and said, I have an idea for an accounting software, I would say, well, that's awesome. It could be great. Uh, I hope it's great, but I've got 10 other friends that are probably better for you to talk to because I want to invest in something that is going to get you to revenue like really quickly in, in the next yeah. week or two. Um, but if someone said, well, this is something that could be built really quickly, that's cool. But why, why don't we at least go to your target demographic and tell them what you want to build and say, uh, do you want to pre-purchase this? Not would you buy it? Because everybody tells you they'd buy it. Yeah, right? they'd buy it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but you know, what would you pay for this? So I'd pay 2,500 bucks. Okay. Um, would you pay $1,000 real money right now, you know, heavily discounted. And when it's built, you get the first product. If the answer is no, well, <laughs> you should, you should dig yeah, into that. Yeah. You should figure is, that yes. Out. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's do more of that. You know, right. I'll invest in that business, but yeah. I just don't like personally, yeah. um, like I don't mind if the mutual funds that I, you know, hold in an IRA yeah. want to be speculative, but me, I need, I need it to be a bit tangible because the other thing is when somebody calls me and asks me for advice or they're stressed out, I like to get them just at the basics really quickly and help them see that typically their answer isn't as big and ugly as they think it is. They just literally need to get in their car, go someplace and do X, Y, and Z and yeah. make some sales. And, and they won't have to go borrow a bunch of money. Just <laughs> stop developing your product for three days. Stop de- you know, doing yeah. this for three days. Go make some sales. And it, it's amazing what that can free you up to do. Um, yeah. you know, I, have a, I have a client who, one of the reasons I love working with him is because every single time going gets tough at his company, he literally just starts knocking door to door and talking wow. to small businesses who are his target. And digging in with them deeply on what it is that's, you know, that they do or do not like about his product. Then he commits to making those changes and then and makes sales on the spot. And <laughs> wow. it, no, I mean, it's, it's an amazing way to yeah, no, that's great. invigorate him, but also to show his, his revenue generating teams, you know, guys, we're in a bit of a slump, but you know, the answer to the, the slump, <laughs> sell more. You know the answer to that? <laughs> Knock on more doors, make more phone calls, generate more leads. Um, yeah. There's a lot of big hypotheticals, but sales fix, geez, sales fix almost anything. They do almost fix anything. I, yeah, I, when I worked in the car business, that was like, how do you get out of a sales slump? You sell something? Go find Yeah, I mean, I know yeah. people, in, there's obviously ways and skills and yeah, tactics yeah. to do that. Yeah, you know, I'm not the yeah. guy who's just like, do better. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, of course. you know, I'll, I'll go with you. We'll sell with you, you know, yeah, but when someone tells me that, you know, they're, they're in a sales slump, I'll say, all right, well, are you working a startup? No, we've been around for 10 years. Um, how long have you been there? A year and a half. How many months have you had quota? Uh, 16 out of 18. All right. So you have 16 examples of how this product sells just fine. Right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. 
what is it specifically that is you're struggling with? Let's tweak a few things and just make some sales. And yeah. we can come up with some big fancy answer later. Or if you want, I can talk to your, you know, your, your CRO and maybe give some ideas on how they could do some lead gen. But in the end, what it comes down to is you, you got to make some sales. Sales are, yeah. they're the ultimate proof that you have a valuable product and service. Yeah. I mean, the market is willing the, to give you money for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the market's the only way you really know. And, uh, and that's super interesting to, and, and I mean, it's, it's so awesome that you said like, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just got to go out there and get someone to buy your product. And, and you're totally right. And th- my podcast isn't like a tips and tricks. I know in 2018, you were on Brian Burns podcast. Um, and he, and, but I love his podcast. Uh, and he's a, he's a great leader, but I like the story, but, and, the, and those are the stories that I love to hear and that people really like, I feel like get inspired by, you know, cause when you tell us that your friend, you know, what are your best clients? Like when he gets, you know, when he gets down, he just goes, starts knocking doors. Like that gets me fired up. I'm like, let's go knock doors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, so I joined a company years ago. Uh, gosh, this is like a dozen years ago, small little yeah. media company. And, um, the first day I was there, I was just getting the lay of the land. And, um, you know, one of the sales guys mentioned that he was, that he was in a slump and I said, all right, let's just go out and we're going to grab some businesses and, and talk to them. And the first business we went to was not even remotely a target business, but you know, (laughs) it was on our path. We went in and we told him what we did. And just to be completely off the rails and show him that, the worst thing that can happen is someone says no. Yeah. Uh, I literally just asked the person whether they had any cash in the register or on their pocket and they could just give us the cash and we would get started. And this <laughs> was not a repair shop. And he legit pulled out $500 from his pocket and said, here you go. And I said, awesome. And there was a sale. And the salesman looked at me like, what was that? And I said, well, I mean, I don't know if we'll sell to another guy like that, but but that's a great, that's a great this problem was we, we visited somebody and um, we asked them for some money and, and then they, they gave it to us. <laughs> that's amazing. And, no, but, but you know, there's, uh, listen, there's lots of amazing businesses and strategies and new technologies, but, but you've got to remember who you are as a business. Look at, look at Honda. So you were mm-hmm. a Honda, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So I've often said to people, if, if the only thing that mattered was, was product uh, and, and the usability of a product, uh, the only sedan that would exist would be the Honda Accord. There is yeah, no for purpose sure. for any other vehicle in the world <laughs> other than a you know, minivan pickup truck, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Talking about sure. a passenger vehicle. Uh, I, I believe the Honda Accord is the, uh, the most functional, most reliable car there is. You, you do not need to provide a better car than that. Yeah, yeah. You don't I, need yeah. to provide a different car than that. But but we do. But we do, yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, I yeah, would never drive some of the Honda Accord competitors, but they exist. I, I don't know yeah. why anybody would ever buy um, <laughs> a used Buick for 22 grand when they could buy a brand new Honda Accord for 22 grand. Yeah, for sure. The, the point is people do. <laughs> yeah, and all so, the time. If you're struggling to sell, you know, to sell your product, just remember everywhere you look, there's something in an industry that you would not purchase yourself, but someone else is. For sure. And that company has the guts to simply go and make another sale. Yeah. 
if someone says, dude, I would never drive a, you know, Volvo. Well, I, I don't care. I'll go find somebody who does want to drive. <laughs> we'll buy it. Yeah, all the time. I'll sell them a Volvo. You know. Yeah, yeah. I like that too because that was our saying when I was at Honda. You know, if if uh, and and we sold new and used cars, but we would say that all the time. Like, why would anybody ever buy that? And I and my saying was, well, somebody would buy a Volkswagen. So yeah. like, we should just go out there. And that, and I don't trash any brands, but that's my least favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's just the kind of thing where yeah, yeah. my 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 son and I we. Um, if you know me, you know that my my pride and I mean I obviously adore my wife of 19 years and of my course. whole family, but yeah. my son is like my mini me. And the only thing we disagree on is that I'm a Ferrari guy and he's a Lamborghini guy. And to me, it's like Elvis and the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's Ferrari, Lamborghini, and I can't handle that my son <laughs> loves Lamborghinis. I, I don't know why anybody would choose one of those over yeah. a Ferrari or even a Porsche. Sure, sure. But my son cannot wait to buy one one day. <laughs> and that's why Lamborghini exists is because that's right. they provide a viable solution and they go out and sell their damn cars. And I would never drive a lime green Italian <laughs> car. But guess what? There's a lot of dudes who love lime green Italian cars. We love them. So, so go sell it to them. Yeah, seriously. And that was one of my actually other questions, because I, I noticed, uh, you know, I, I went to your website and things like that. And you mentioned that you discussed the investments as a family. Um, what is that? What is that conversation like, especially especially with like your son and your wife? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in so, a lot so, of ways, sometimes yeah, it so, comes down to me saying, hey, I really want to do this. My wife's like, yeah, OK, <laughs> Um, that's that yeah that makes sense no, but she but she brings them to me as well she she um because she's not as, as networked as i am in the professional world sure she comes to me more with um like charitable donations and um like neighborhood initiatives but we sort of discuss it the same way which is we have we have limited resources um, we want them to have massive impact we need to see the result of them you know tomorrow and yeah. will this, will this achieve that? And, and will this help, you know, whether it's the business or the charity, will this help them go further than what we're investing in them? Um, by the way, I think it's totally fine to give 20 bucks to a, to a, a homeless person who just needs 20 bucks to buy, to buy lunch and hell even beer and cigarettes. I don't care. Yeah. Who cares? Those are worthwhile investments in people. But if I can, I would like to invest in small businesses that, again, could take that money and make money with it tomorrow or charities that take that money and put it in play immediately. And, you know, not to sidetrack mm -hmm. the conversation, but when you go meet with foundations, they'll, they'll let you choose how you want your money to be used. And some people, cool. you know, they'll, they'll, they'll want to pay for a, um, a group of people to go to a group of kids to go to Disneyland. And that's because when they were a child, they were poor and they couldn't go to Disneyland. And now that they have money, you know, they want kids to go. To, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I have no problem with that. <laughs> Whatever you want to do with your, your donations. Yeah. I would probably rather take that money and make sure that we're talking like food and clothing and shelter. Sure. Yeah, but again, yeah. it's it's not that there's a value judgment on what people do with their money. Yeah. You just have to know who you are. And the only times that I really get burned are when I go outside the lines and I I place money, whether charity or investment, in something that just doesn't make sense. 
um, or I know good and well, it, it it's probably not going to result well for either of us. Yeah. Um, and there, by the way, there is there are some hybrids in there where yeah, yeah. it's an investment, but you know good and well that um, you're not going to get all of it back. Or if you get your principal back, you're you're I'm doing cool. great, but don't <laughs> yeah, expect yeah. to get much more. Yeah, I'm cool. Yeah. You just kind of have to know what you're getting yourself into. And, and, you know, I talk about expectations a lot of times, as long as you know what to expect, they know what to, to expect in return. It's usually fine. I mean, I have some, I have somebody who I had to tell them recently, stop, stop sending me these one-off payments with apologies. I, I told you that I don't expect those things. And it's a symbol that you feel like I'm, I'm somehow emotionally burdening you and you need to, I, I, you know, let me reset that expectation. What we agreed to is what we agreed to. You don't have to do any more than that. You don't have to accelerate payment. You don't have to nothing. And I just want you to, you know, relax and focus on your business. And, um, Mm. And then when, when that happens, it, it works well. But anytime one of us gets misaligned, man, it, it, it can go south fast. Yeah, that that's very true. And that's something that a lot of people, especially like me, is just, you know, managing and, and even in sales, right? Sales and in business. I mean, the best the best thing that you can do is help manage expectations. Yep. Right. And get and when everybody's on the same page, because I totally agree with you 100 percent. Like if, if everybody's on the same page, you're really not going to hit any road bumps and things are going to go pretty smooth. And I and I almost venture to say, like, when you're on the same page and when you have the same expectations, like things can go a little bit better than we planned. Like and I feel they, like in my case, that's mostly what happens. They can. And then on the flip side there, I mean, it sounds crazy, but this is an important thing in sales. There are times where where over delivering in a product is, is not super wise. Um, now we always want to, you know, if we promise X, you want to give X plus one, but yeah, there are times when you are puking features and benefits on somebody that costs you the sale. But there's yeah. other times when you've made the sale, you're going through onboarding account management and you just keep showing them all these additional features. And what they start to think is, Man, am I paying for, I, you know, I don't thank you, but I don't want to use that. Am I paying for that? Yeah. Yeah. And we say, no, no, you know, it's all part of your price. They still have flipped their head to think, yeah, but could I have paid less if I didn't have that? Again, back to cars. because Right, right, right. I mean, I think it's absolutely asinine that uh, <laughs> a Kia, a Kia minivan has paddle shifters. <laughs> like, you know, or a I Honda mean, minivan, by the way, those have paddle shifters too. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason. <laughs> cool technology, but why did I have to pay for that? I mean, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, I drive. Yeah. I, I've owned a lot of cars, and even my expensive sports cars. There's always things that I wish we could take out of it. Yeah. Um, my wife's car. I've been begging this one brand for years to stop <laughs> mandating this incredibly expensive feature that no one really cares about. Um, yeah, yeah. Anything goes with software with other products. You you have to make sure that you're not over delivering um, and distracting somebody from the whole reason they should be buying from you and the whole reason they should keep paying for your service. Yeah, you don't want them focused on getting a rebate for some additional feature when they should be focused on using the product as it was intended to solve their problem and then get fully ingrained in that. I mean. 
Yeah. You know, I, I also, I have a pickup truck that I, that I drive quite a bit, you know, this pickup truck is so good at showing me its daily value that I don't get annoyed with some of the other frills that they put on it that frankly I didn't want to pay for because it's so good at reminding me that it does perfectly what I ask it to do. Yeah. And that's where, uh, you know, salespeople, companies have got to get better at doing is you create this value and then you claim that value and you keep getting paid for that value. And then everyone's happy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I call it, um, and and every well, I mean, I don't call it that. I heard it this, and I love the, but the in and out kind of effect, right? Where you do where you do three or four things really well, like food carts. I love food carts because I go to food carts, and and I know they do one, two, three, four things super well, and that's all I get, and that's all I pay for, right? Yep. And it's a beautiful thing because they have a killer corn dog, and that's all I get, and I'm happy, and let's roll, you know? What I mean? And I love it. I love it. It's true. I mean, even with businesses, if you have young young people that are deciding what type of business to go into, you know, yeah. some of them, you know, there's a lot of people bash retail because retail has thin margins and it can be really hard. But retail, yeah. there's also a lot of beauty in retail because you know what you never do? You don't you don't go to Target and ever ask for a custom box of crackers. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, this is true, the crackers. Though. This is what you pay for it. Yeah. You go to buy a Rolex. Rolex has a rule. The price is the price. Yep. There's no discounts. And by the way, even if you've been on a on a waiting list for a year and a half and the price of your the retail price is 10, but now the the fair market value is 20 or 30, they still sell it for 10. Yeah. There's there's a real beauty in knowing who you are. And retail retail has some of that benefit. I mean, I think even to, I don't own a Tesla. Mm. But I think Tesla did really well by just saying like, hey, this is the car we build. There's like three models and yeah, um, yeah. you get what you get. Whereas yeah. with American cars, um, the amount of options are are astronomical. And then with software companies, the amount of options, it's it, it spins people around. And um, unless you're very good at nailing down what it is that they need and just focusing on that, you can talk yourself out of more sales that you talk yourself into. And then yeah. you can have people that are actually a really great fit for your product, purchase yeah. it, but regret it because they just don't understand what they got. Yeah. Well, actually that's bad. that's bad for everybody. Oh yeah. Well, you know, what's so funny about that is uh, just to kind of, cause I, you're totally right. Because when you put things in into your product that people don't understand, um, we actually learned this the hard way at Honda. So Honda actually came out while I was there. They used to be in the JD Power top five, right? Yeah. And the JD Power and Associates is like how reliable cars are. And when someone can't use a feature, they think it's broken. And that's yep. why, yep. And Honda actually tanked in the JD Power ratings because they didn't know how to, the customers didn't know how to use things like Bluetooth. They didn't know how to do their radio presets. So like it became mandatory, uh, you know, and Honda came and trained everybody about it. And it was like, if you don't do these things, we're going to like dock your dealership because Honda was losing these sales for exactly that reason. People got way too much. Isn't it funny too, how you can, you can screw with your reputation Pretty quickly. I mean, Honda is this unimpeachable brand, you know, amazing yeah. reliability, good looking cars. Yeah. Um, they don't do manufacturer rebates. So the prices are like remarkably consistent. Yeah. Used car prices, they hold their value really well. Yeah. And yet something like getting too fancy with presets can, can really change things. Where on the other hand, 
you know, it can take forever to buy yourself out of a bad brand name. So I, I, I love Jaguar. I don't okay. own one right now, but I've, I've continuously owned a Jaguar sports car for, I don't know, 10 to the last 15 years. Yeah. And people, a lot of times they do the whole, you know, don't they break down? No, actually it's been the first or second most reliable, reliable vehicle in the world since 2004. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never once had a repair done and I drive them like they're supposed to be driven. Yeah. And yet their resale value is garbage. Right. Because everyone thinks they break down. Um, there's, I mean, they have a few hits every now and then, but even now Jaguars is struggling yeah. and that's because for so long they, they built a reputation that they're having a tough time digging out of, even though for 15 years, they've been one of the best companies in the world, but you know, there's only yeah. so much you can do to dig yourself out of 50 years of, <laughs> of unreliability. That's yeah. It's tough. It's way, it's way tough. Uh, yeah. That reminds me of a, of a lot of things I could talk about like car sales all day. That was my yeah, first, like, seriously. because like when you mentioned retail, like car sales was this weird, like sale we're like, we were retail, but we're like outside sales, but we're kind of like inside sales because we got to make a lot of cold calls. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so I like, you know, now I sell like in software, but, um, but, and I learned a lot of the stuff from car sales, but I loved, I absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, I was listening to your, to the Brian Burns podcast about how you, you know, you didn't know what you were going to do. So you went into sales. And I remember when I got into sales, like I, I didn't know, there was any other sales besides car sales. Yeah. So I just was like, all right. Like I don't, you know, I had a friend who was like, I, you can make a lot of money doing it. He's like, you'd be really good. And, and I didn't want to do construction my whole life. And I was going to college. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And uh, sales changed my whole life. So it was a lot of fun, but, but I, I wish that. more people, you know, I wish there was less of us that just fell backwards into it and more people <laughs> that, that looked at it as a viable opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, not to get like political or anything, but, you know, women are still representing uh, an abnormally low amount of applicants for uh, sales jobs and and specifically for sales management jobs. Yeah. And um, one of the reasons for that is that we've just painted the picture that it's a certain type of world and you have to be extroverted and you have to be all these things. Um, You have to look like you and me and, you know, talk loud and, you know, but, but what, yeah. what I try to do with a lot of people in organizations is, you know, I'll, I'll actually have like, I'll buy, I'm going to buy everyone lunch and I'll talk to the customer service group and just say, listen, I want to explain to you what sales is. And I know that you immediately are going to get nervous and whatnot, but I need you to understand what it takes to make a sale. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to understand who your customer is, but you know, marketing should help you out with that and make sure you're talking to the right people. You have to open up the conversation in a way that's reliable so you can get kind of good at it. You have to get them talking to you like a human. And then at some point you just have to ask for their money. And in that part, we can just teach you how to do, but you know, so many of you guys communicate for a living. You deal with customer service calls, technical support calls where you have to take something complex and make it simple. Um, You have to take escalation calls And, and you're so good at communicating it sales is not much different, but mm-hmm. frankly, it pays a lot better. So <laughs> yeah. maybe we should consider, you know, trying you out in these sort of things. And um, some of the best salespeople I've ever met have just come from like random customer service transfers that ended up being sure. phenomenal. 
for sure. I remember we used to, I used to go to like, uh, if I had a good uh, waiter or waitress, I would always ask because I was in car sales management for a while. I would always ask waiters and waitresses because I'm like, I'm like, that's perfect. I mean, you know how to talk to people. You can remember what they, what they're saying. You can recommend if you can recommend things, right? I mean, you yep. can get people laughing and talking. You collect tips well, and and uh, and that's great. And when you and when you mentioned women in sales, like I, I had the really awesome pleasure of interviewing the um, founders of that women of the women in sales Utah women in sales yeah organization. <clears throat> They were phenomenal. I learned more They've in that done interview. Great work. Yeah, I, I learned more in that interview just with them than I than I learned in years of sales training. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you there that that that's crazy. And um, and I always tried to like if I if I had a female who would come in and they wanted to uh, and they wanted to try it, I would always give them a shot because they're just so especially in car sales, right? Like I'm big, I'm I have a beard, I'm bald. I like I look like I look. I don't look like somebody you'd walk up to on the street, right? <laughs> you know, you know. And so I'm like, so if you can break down all those barriers, like, like without anything, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And uh, I always had, I always had my, my women salesmen always out outperform my male salesmen. Yeah, I mean, partly it's right. just because when you when you diversify your sales force, mm-hmm. it just it's an acceptance that our customer bases are are diverse as well. I mean, yeah, yeah there are some point. there are some customer types. So my my next door neighbor is a really good friend of mine, and um, he's coming over later. I shot him a text, basically said, "Hey, I've got a uh, I've got a ginger beer waiting for you. you want to hang out tonight?" <laughs> What that means is I have some sort of obscure topic that I want to pick his brain about because he's so smart. Yeah. And um, so anyways, one time he said, hey, how would you sell to me? I laughed and I said, (laughs) I said, you? I said, I would have to, I have two chances to sell to you. Number one, I call you at the nanosecond that you're open to talking to someone like me and I say something interesting enough that gets you to just keep talking. Yeah. And then we eventually get around to something I want to sell to you, but I would have to, it would just be the absolute luck of the draw to get you even willing to speak with me. And the second thing is um, I would honestly need a product or a service that is so compelling that it, it, would, it would cause him to take some time. And he laughed and said, yeah, it's probably right. Because yeah, yeah. he goes, I'm just not a, um, he goes, I'm not somebody who receives, you know, sales calls well, but sure. um, if you get me on the hook, he said, I will learn more about your product than you've ever learned yourself. <laughs> and if I want to buy it, I'm buying it and I'm not taking six months to do it. Right. Uh, right. So he's, he's the one who's going to want to talk to a salesperson and then want to deep, uh, deep dive with like a technical um, implementation person, you know, but, okay. but we all have different buying styles. Yeah. I mean, it's and true. If, yeah. If we all have different buying styles. Certainly there can't just be one type of salesperson. And, mm. um, yep. you know, we've seen that I'm sure at your company, you see the same thing. There's, there's lots of ways to be successful and it, it doesn't all look like extroverted ex-college athletes, you know, <laughs> named Chad, you know? So. Oh yeah. That's awesome. No, I, you're totally right. Like you have to, you have to be able to, you know, be diverse in your company. That's something I totally believe in. Um, and actually what I, what I, 
I'm also interested in a few things and I'm not going to take your whole night, I promise. But one of, the main, one of the main things I, I wanted to talk to you about, because I, this is the side of me that I, I just get really interested in, but you were, and forgive me if I mess this up, but you were a gubernatorial candidate yeah, in the state of Utah. Were you a candidate? I was, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that story. I, I don't know. I just remember seeing that and I, and I've seen a few of your posts around this. And by the way, I agree with a almost everything that you say, like 99% of what you say. Um, but I just wanted to, what made you do that? And what happened? What was that journey like? All right. Uh, I don't know if this is a video podcast, by the way, but no, it's not. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, if, if not, I'm rolling my eyes right now and your listeners, but, but, uh, you know, it's funny. Cause when I was a young, when I was a young man, um, I was really into politics and now I'm very much not into politics, okay. uh, but I really quite like rational discussions and, and problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the reason I decided to run for governor is number, number one, frankly, Utah, uh, it's not terribly difficult to, to do it. But yeah. what I was finding is that, well, I'll, not to take up your night, but no, literally ahead, one day ahead. I was just getting an oil change. And um, I'm sitting in the dealership, like eating a donut, and I had them do like the 30,000 mile service or whatever, inside a little bit of time. And I decided that I would draft a website and write down my political views. And, um, and that's what I did. And cool. then what I did is I sent it to a bunch of a bunch of people. And what really had me interested was that nobody had any idea whether I was a Democrat or Republican, because I didn't put it on cool. the website. Yeah, cool. I just I just put, hey, I'm I'm running for governor, and this is what I'd like to do. And you know, certainly I sent it to a lot of friends, yeah. and they're not going to tell me I'm an. Well, I mean, some <laughs> some of them told me they didn't like certain things, but well, but every one of them decided with their own point of view whether I was a Republican or a Democrat. Mm, it didn't even ask me what, which one I was. Interesting. Yeah, and 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 by the way, I've actually I actually had. Um, I know this for certain from firsthand accounts that other candidates and actually previous government officials also viewed it and their feedback was, huh, (laughs) so what party is he from? And and that's really what got me mostly interested in saying, okay, I'm going to run is all I did was focus on what mattered for for a a Utah family, a Utah single mom, a Utah uh, yeah. elderly person yeah. and just wrote down what I think would make a lot of sense. And I kept it limited to what matters in Utah because, you know, the governor of Utah is, you know, they're the administrator yeah. of the state of Utah yeah. and any national topic. I, I just spoke to it as if, you know, I was a Utah. Yeah. And then I would get questions about, well, do you agree with this on a national level? I said, no, I, I, I don't. I, right. I wouldn't do this if I was in California. I wouldn't suggest this if I was in. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah. This is purely a Utah um, solution. And that was what was really interesting is the amount of conversations that I was able to get into with, with, I, I don't know if you knew that, but I, you know, mm. I had like 25 billboards and mm. at one point I'm getting calls left and right <laughs> from these candidates thinking like, you know, that I'm a really serious competitor <laughs> and we would talk and they would just be like, I can't figure you out. I can't. That good. I'm like, well, why not? Well, because I, I haven't found anything I disagree with you about. And I'm like, well, right, yeah, right. <laughs> because, like, 
I'm not trying what to do him. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not trying yeah. to be disagreeable. I mean, a, a, good, a yeah. good example of this is, you know, we think about education in Utah and Utah is uh, 49th or 50th in funding, but it's not 49th or 50th in results. We're, you know, right, Utah kids right. do really well. So number one, there's that thing where it's like, well, we have the worst funding. Yeah, but we don't have the worst results. So let's not overjudge the funding. Sure. Second of all, there's this, we start to think of this nationally. They start to think, well, we can't invest more money. We, you know, we have immense amounts of debt. How would we finance it? Well, I would just ask people, well, did you know that we have over a billion dollars of cash in our surplus right now? (laughs) And they would say surplus. Well, yeah, Utah has a balanced budget. We're not allowed to go into debt. And there's a billion dollars of surplus. And do you know that we could fund the school lunch program statewide for the, for the poor Utah children for almost 40 years, if we just did that right now? And they would look at me like, Wait, are, how is this possible? <laughs> well, because, because that's how our state works. Yeah. And yeah. We, we don't need to worry about other states right now, but there are practical solutions that would help mm. our children and our teachers today that won't cost anything extra because we already have the money. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. what would you do, Mark, if we were, if we didn't have the money? Well, that's a totally yeah. different, I mean, well, yeah, that's not fair. I yeah, would think I, of a yeah. different solution, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so that was what was really fun about, about running. Unfortunately, COVID, um, the, the, the night, well, the night before we had to officially become candidate, there's a process that you have to go through. Yeah. I had dinner with, um, the eventual candidate and we got the message on our phones that the conventions had been shut down and all this stuff. And that was the night that Salt Lake, um, Salt Lake County shut down. And I went home and talked to my wife and I just said, Hey, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've got this pretty rare respiratory disease that I've been dealing with for 20 something years. And apparently this COVID thing is pretty bad on the, on the lungs. Yeah. And we just decided the best thing was to, to bow out and, and not, uh, not complete. I, I, I can tell you, I regret it deeply Sure. Um, that, I, I, that I backed out. I remember reading your website, by the way. I remember when yeah. we were going to do this podcast the first time and, uh, and I was like, this is it. I'm going to, we're going to talk about sales. And cause I was like, um, uh, I actually, this is funny enough. I got into politics while I was taking my, uh, governmental accounting class. Oh, really? In college. I was like, I was like, okay, there's some things that I'm, I was, I, cause I, I knew that as I was going through this class, I was learning about all the, you know, the money side of this. Right. And, and I was like, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like what, so like what I was learning and what I was hearing, I was like, this isn't making any sense. So I started to dig in and, and I came to a lot of the same conclusions that you did. I'm like, cause people would be like, well, we're going to raise taxes. And I'm like, no, no, no. What if we could solve all these problems with the money that we already have? And yeah. they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, what I'm telling you is we wouldn't have to do anything more. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, or I mean, yeah. there are circumstances like that where, but there's other yeah. times, you know, I'm no fan of politicians, but there's sure. other times that they get a really bad rap. Like, Oh, they're, they're lazy. Sure. I tell you right now, the hardest working people in, in the country are the house, the Senate and the president. They, these guys work 20 hours a day. Yeah. We may not like what they do, but, and then you they look at hard. the things that they have to come against to solve these problems. I mean, mm, we've yeah. all thought to ourselves, if we were president, I don't care what budget they pass. I just simply wouldn't spend that money. Well, unfortunately, that's not the way it works. It's yeah, it's legally. not the case all the time for sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to spend the money and 
Utah has similar things where there's certain funds that must be spent on this. And there's other things that are, that are not. And, and, um, the only advice I ever give to people, if they really want to know how I feel about a specific issue, I'll tell them, but I'll usually just tell them, you know, the principles that you think you have probably aren't principles. Uh, (laughs) No, they, they aren't. I mean, no, I I agree with you. Good example is, yeah, I'm laughing because I agree. Thou shalt not steal. Well, we all think of that as a principle, but if my son's starving, I will, I will steal directly from you, Dalton. Like I'm <laughs> taking your lunch and giving it to my kid <laughs> because my principle is to feed my kid. Yeah. So, but that's, you know, it's a good example of, of how sometimes we look at it with this like morally authoritative view and you think, okay, that's, that's all fine and good if we're writing books, mm. but, but right now, Take COVID, for instance. Mm-hmm. How we handle COVID in Utah doesn't have to be the way that we do it in New York City, where there's a huge population density. Right. And how we do it in South Jordan, Utah. So my wife and I called the local, like my son's elementary. He goes to public school. And we said, hey, you know, how can we help? And they said, honestly, there's nothing. We have all the funding we need. We, we happen to, you know, there's only a few children uh, that we know of that, that uh, aren't that are on the school lunch program, and uh, this is what it would take. And, and it was honestly very, very simple mm-hmm. to make sure that every kid in that school had food during COVID. Now, on the other hand, a district up the street has uh, 60, 62,000 kids or something like that that only eat breakfast and lunch at school. Mm-hmm. And if you shut down their schools, they don't eat. And so, oh, we may, you know, one, on one hand, someone says, no, we need to be like, lives matter. We have to protect the sick from COVID. And I say, I agree. But we also have starving children. So please first understand that this is not as easy as you think it is. Yeah. Also understand that there are competing needs. There's the needs of our elderly and infirm. There's the needs of our starving children. And we have to adjudicate these things in a way that makes sense for everybody if possible yeah um, yeah but we should probably not get super angry about it accuse people of things <laughs> yeah sure, uh, having seriously. said that when politicians are bad we should we should we should wreck them <laughs> we should call them out yeah we should we wreck them. A- absolutely uh no i totally i i like that because like i said um you know I, I read as many posts as i can i, I don't I'm getting more on LinkedIn now, but, but everything that I read, I was like, yeah, man. And, and, and I, and I like that you said that everything's not black and white. I think that's a good lesson for just life, right? That you've got to be able to, to field information, get it, get as much as you can, as quickly as you can, as correctly as it can be. And then, and then start with a good team. You know what I mean? I I like it. (laughs) People are, people are generally good. They're generally um, selfish but their selfishness is really no different than your selfishness. Right. My desire to feed my family isn't, isn't more selfish than your desire to feed your family. Sure. Um, sure. And you know, the, in my opinion, the anomaly is when our fellow human beings uh, go abnormally, abnormally beyond the, the, the realms of like ethics and morals mm. and harm your, you, you and I our our abilities to support our families. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's when we have to get angry and step in and, and force change. But I'm yeah. most of us are just trying to get by. Yeah. Um, can you still hear me, by the way? Uh, I can barely hear you. There's some static and it says uh, webcam utility. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm having a little bit of a 
technical difficulties. Okay, there we go. Yeah, I got you. Right. I got okay, you cool. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I Zoom is Zoom is my favorite, except when uh, my <laughs> all my tech technology fails me. Um, no, technology is the best thing, unless it doesn't work. <laughs> then it's the worst. Thing. Then it's like now. Another thing to bring it back to sales. Another thing to remember yeah, again. Yeah. Give me something that works before you give me something that is sexy. Yeah. Yes, sir. You know, <laughs> yes, sell, sir. Re- sell what works before you sell the big shiny object. Yeah. And you could buy yourself time to come up with a big shiny object. But <laughs> in the meantime, most people want to buy something that works. That's no, that's totally, that's absolutely, totally true. Um, well, I appreciate it. And, uh, and I always ask this question because I'm, a, I'm a book nerd, but like, what's, what's the book you recommend the most? And it doesn't have to be particular to any subject because like the book I recommend the most has nothing to do with sales or like my other stuff. So, I mean, there's a, I'll give you a couple books. I'm not, I'm okay. not a big, All right, deal. I'm not a big like sales and leadership book guy. Sure. Um, I do, I, I read constantly, but I, what I try to do is read a lot of historical, um, mm. history, historical fiction, uh, philosophy, things that, where I feel like I can learn about life and leadership principles, uh, yeah. sort of in a real world setting. So, um, I'll tell you my, my favorite books. Uh, one is, is, um, it's a really simple, like, coffee table book called it's from i believe paul arden it's called it's not how good you are it's how good you want to be and it's legit like 50 pages and there's like two sentences on every page (laughs) but i'll tell you it'll melt your face with the simple little ways that he he makes points about the way that we communicate the way that we consume information uh what we can and can't control in our lives it is not a motivational book it is a He was a legendary advertising executive and it's, it's, again, you could read the thing front to back in, in 10 minutes, Yeah, but I've read it at least a hundred times because, awesome. because the things that he teaches are from his advertising career that made very specific, uh, actionable changes in his life. So, uh, to give you an example, uh, uh, if you're constantly losing, it's probably because you're playing by the rules. <laughs> now that that doesn't mean we're, we should go break the law, but you know, if if you if you have a product or a service or something that it it, it doesn't make sense that it it shouldn't be received or shouldn't be going well, it may be because you've put it into a framework that somebody else has designed for you. You might yeah. just need to go use a different framework. And those are the sorts of things that that you can read from his book and take and put into action um, immediately. Other books, uh, I'm a huge fan of researching anything about early Christian history. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, I, I love uh, history of the Midwest history of, of, of war, by the way, not that I want to read art of war. That's seriously overplayed, but what I love to do is read anything (laughs) that shows the journals of presidents, generals, soldiers in the middle of, uh, conflict. And most of the time, keep in mind, they're not writing about what they did in the heat of the battle. They're writing about how they dealt with an insubordinate soldier on a march, how they, how they got through a sickness, how they dealt with their, their, struggling family at home like 
these are the sorts of things that I can relate to. And so yeah. same thing with early Christian history, you know, not to get religious, but early Christian history in many ways is the history of half the world. Yeah. So yeah. whether or not I'm focusing on learning about who, who Jesus Christ was or just learning about the hundreds and hundreds of years of, of how one of the biggest developments in the history of the world came to be, you learn so much about everything. Uh, you also get surprised with yeah. how much you didn't know in the first place. That's is, true. My greatest hobby is is finding out stuff that I never knew before that I'm just like, wait, wait, why did no one tell me this? Yeah, yeah seriously. And it really yeah. blows your mind. I mean, from yeah. everything from the way that I look at, um, again, principles versus rules and laws Yeah. Uh, to uh, equality versus equity and how – uh, what that meant to me when I was 20 is very different than when I'm 40. And, um, you know, even with government, like how you solve problems for 13 colonies versus how you solve problems for 330 million Americans in 50 states and principalities speaking, you know, 19 languages and 16 major religions <sighs> with the internet and the telephone. Like, yeah. What you, what I love to do is try to figure out how things have evolved over time. And what it generally teaches me is just how little I, I really know how much I still have to learn. And then you grab these little tidbits on, I mean, geez, yeah. I can talk forever, but I'll, I'll give yeah. you just a really yeah. good one from his, from history. Um, I forget the, the general, um, but it was a union general um, in the civil war. And he was a, he was a soft-spoken college guy. who was, who was a, you know, made it an officer and he wasn't a great public speaker, but what he learned, and I remember reading this in a book was that when he had unruly soldiers, it did no good at all to yell. You don't mm. get in front of them and fire a pistol in the air and say, everyone shut up. What he would do is he would ride out in front of them, slowly dismount his horse, pause, look around and scan the group. And then he would start to speak softly and deliberately. And his unruly soldiers would shut up because they wanted to hear what he had to say. <laughs> and I've taken that and I've wow. used that in so many speaking engagements where it could be that you've got like you're at the end of the day and everyone's annoyed or you just had to follow some somebody who's just amazing or whatever mm. it is. But you, you're like, OK, I need to get control of the room for myself. Walk on stage look around the room, pleasantly smile, and they begin speaking slowly and deliberately with something engaging. And all of a sudden you get the room back to you. That's the stuff that you can find anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Not from a, you know, from a Tony Robbins sales and leadership, which might be great for all I know, but sure. Yeah. I'm much better learning from when I can imagine a father at, you know, around 40 years old, uh, dealing with a midlife crisis. And I'm like, well, uh, you know, it's <laughs> what did he yeah. do? Well, no, you know, what's so funny is like, that's what I love about this podcast because there's a lot of great tips and tricks podcasts out there. And like, this is what I say. Right. Um, but one of my favorite sales, like quotes is facts, tell and stories sell. And so when yeah. you can find a really good story or when you can like really just paint that picture in someone's head of what's going on, like, that's what people, that's what people remember. You know. Yeah, so I'll, I mean, I'll give a tip. I'm probably out of time, yeah. but no, I get ahead. this. I'll just answer this for people in case they're wondering. But I get asked all the time in emails and LinkedIn messages and podcasts. You know, how do you 
how do you build this following? How do you have so much engagement? And what they're a lot of times saying is, why don't I? And I'll look at their <laughs> LinkedIn profile. Yeah. And I'll I'll message them and I'll say, I'll, I'll tell you what the difference is. Yes, I, I'm naturally, one of my, you know, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I was naturally gifted at writing. So that helps. Um, yeah. But, I'll, and I have a bunch of life experiences, but what it really is, is if you notice everything that I post um, that gets real reach has a human involved in the story. Yeah. And w- when they post something that is similarly beneficial, just as factually correct, but it, it just says, do you know how to increase your marketing engagement by 17% do X, Y, and Z? No one reads that. Right, right, right. What what you need to say is, this is the principle. This is how I did it wrong or somebody I know who did it wrong. This is what they learned on how to do it right. Here are the action items and here's the summary. And what it yeah. does is it allows people to say, oh, I recognize myself in that situation. Right, and you don't, yes. Like, and, and by the way, don't make them up anyone with half a brain knows when you're making up a story. Yeah. And we all know that. there's people all over LinkedIn that are just making up <laughs> insane. There's a guy on there that I swear, if every story was true, he has the worst life in the history of lives. Like, yeah, I think he's 30 yeah. years old and he's yeah. had, he's lost like 95 jobs, <laughs> 17 wives. And you know, oh, yes, no. I'm making fun of him. I won't name him, but no, but there's it's a true. reason like, yes, why yes, he's got 250,000 followers and his posts get like 17 likes now. It's because at some point it, it just doesn't matter if yeah, you're not you being engaging, you're not being real. Those yeah. followers don't, you don't, you're not going to have any influence in your career, in your community. If you're not being real and if you don't have enough experiences, we'll just go have more experiences. Yeah. Get out there. But yeah, don't yeah, make them sure. up, you know? <laughs> Uh, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. And by the way, I can go as long as you want. Cause I love these podcasts. I love this. Can I, can I end on one thing though? That, yeah, go that, for it. One thing that you said that changed me and that I've, that I use now. Um, I, I did, I did email this to you by the way, but it's this yeah. idea. I, it's this idea that you wrote this on your LinkedIn post one day. You said, um, you know, to, to some tune, of, you know, everybody's, you know, looking up to like Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett and you have these guys who have these amazing lives, but you're missing the next door neighbor who's yeah. done exactly what you want to do, who lives the ex- the exact same life you want to live uh, and and did it exactly how, or, or not exactly, but and, but did it how you would do it, right? Yeah. In a similar fashion. And uh, and that that always stuck with me because I'm like, yes, uh, I think, I think you should go start the business, even though it fails. I think you should knock on your next door neighbor's door and invite him over for a ginger beer and pick his brain because like the, the last, uh, and I wrote this in a, in a article one time, but I was like the last Warren Buffett charity meal went for $4.5 million. Yeah. And that person like, didn't really need his advice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, well, and and uh, and what I'm saying is like most of us don't even want to be like I I read I read the inv- intelligent investor and realized like in the first 50 pages that I had did not want anything to do with anything that was written in this book. You know? What yeah, I, I kind of want to have I want to have lunch with the guy who had four and a half million dollars <laughs> to buy. No, but 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 you know what I'm saying. You know, again, we could go all night, but you know, when when people bring up 
you know, I want, you know, I'm the Uber of this, or I want to, I'll roll my eyes a little bit because it's, it's a little bit cliche, but also because sometimes it takes only a few questions to, to help them see that that isn't actually what they want. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You know, like, you know, I'll say, so, so will you be a failure if you don't get a $175 billion market cap? Yeah. Well, well, no. Okay. Will you be a failure if you're, if you're never worth uh, $7 billion? No. So what is it about those guys or those companies that are similar to what you're, you're trying to do? What is it about their market? I mean, Apple, their market is everybody, your company, your market is not everybody. So yeah, yeah. You may learn some really great principles about how to hire the right people, all that. That's all fine and good. But if you really want to change your business or change your life, change your marriage, it honestly, within 500 yards of, of your house in the suburbs, there is somebody who's been through the exact same thing you've been through. You don't need to go try to buy a charity lunch with somebody that will eat with you, but never speak with you again. You'd be better yeah. off networking with somebody who you can run into a lot. I mean, yeah. just in my neighborhood, you know, I've got a guy behind me who's the smartest digital marketer I've ever met. I've got uh, 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 an attorney four doors down who is the best negotiator ever. I've got a guy across the street from me who's an e-com guy who doesn't care what it is. As long as it has a margin, he's going to sell it. Uh, <laughs> I've got somebody cool. who uh, became a father at 18. I've got somebody who became a father at 40. There's, there's so many people around that to, to get this advice from. And, and by the way, a lot of them are massively successful. So yeah. I'll, I'll give you a small example. So before um, Bernie Madoff, the biggest pyramid scheme uh, indictment in U.S. history came out of my neighborhood back in yeah. California. Yeah, a guy stole a million dollars, and what happened when when it went into federal receivership and during his trial was that they had to publish for public record like all of the investments and who lost money, and because some of us were voyeuristic, we went and read the documents, and I kid you not, we we had people who lost yeah. you know five, six, eight million dollars with this guy that we we had no idea that they had that much money. Wow. And it's like, wait a second, so-and-so from two streets over that we go to church with <laughs> that we don't even, we, we haven't made it, you know, made it a second. They lost $8 million in that scheme. Where the that's, hell did they get their $8 million? <laughs> that's gnarly. It, yeah, but you see it all over the place. Right, and, you do. And again, yes. it's not just about wealth. It's it's about people who have conquered you know, people of one of my best friends, um, you know, obviously I'm not going to say who it is. And, sure. but I think one day I, I want him to tell his story about his marriage because this is a guy that was an hour away from leaving his wife, believing that they had an irreconcilable marriage. Uh, and by the way, there was no infidel, none of that. It was just, yeah, they sure, just sure. kind of didn't get along. He decided not to. And 15 years later, they are so happy. You know, I can read a marriage book or I can talk to him and say, yeah, what exactly did you do? You know, if if I want to save money to buy a house, um, 
I don't want to read a book on real estate. I want to find someone who is around my age who probably makes about the same money as I make. And I, and I want and probably didn't have parents that gave them a ton of money. And I would say, Hey, uh, how'd you buy that house? Yeah. And then they'll be like, Oh, well I saved this much money. I got this credit score and I had this and, and then I just bought a house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've helped cheese. I've helped dozens of employees buy their first house because I've just overheard them saying, you know, I've got to find a new place to rent. And I've just, I've just gone over and said, Hey, not to pry, but any reason why you haven't bought something? Well, I can't afford it. Oh, I'm your employer. <laughs> I know how much I pay you. And unless you have massive debt that I don't know about, you make more than enough money. Yeah. And then three days later, they're, you know, they're, they're doing loan applications in place, you know, and placing deposits on, on their first home. That's cool. Because someone just had to tell them some average guy like me just had to be like, Oh yeah, it's not the way you think it is. It's not 20% down. (laughs) It's not all this stuff. You don't meet with some white haired banker in downtown New York. Like you just go online and, and apply for a loan and they tell you how much money you can, you can borrow. Yeah. But those are the kind of things that you can really change. Uh, You can really change your life by accessing the network that you have in your, in your church, in your school, in your neighborhood. Um, And even if you don't know somebody, just ask, ask your best friend, say, do you know anybody who I can call, who I can talk to about X, Y, or Z? They will know somebody and that person (laughs) will be willing to speak with you and they will be more than happy to help you out and they'll give you actionable information and your life will get better. I, it's, it's just a proven formula. Oh, for sure. Uh, that's yeah, absolutely. And I, that's what I tell people. I'm like, Hey, listen, you just need to go out and talk to people like that was the best thing that I ever did in 2020. Uh, and for my career was like to start this podcast because like crazy enough, like people, as soon as I said podcast, they jumped at it and uh, I've met so many cool people and, but it's like, um, you don't have to like start a podcast. Like you said, you just start like getting to know people. Um, there's one last question. Somebody wrote yeah. this on Facebook and I just want to see if, you know, I just want to see if what your thoughts are. So <clears throat> this is one of my good friends, by the way, he said, how do you find good small businesses to invest in? He said 20,000 for instance, but like, uh, how do you find good small businesses to invest in? What is your criteria? Well, first of all, the way that I find them is through, just asking around and, yeah, networking. and networking. Yeah. I mean, really, it's, know. Yeah. you know, you, you, you have to, sometimes you just have to tell people. I, <laughs> I, you know, and it's not just about investing in small businesses. If you, for instance, are in debt and you need help getting out of uh, debt and learning how, you might have to be open enough to just say to your friends, hey, I, I'm struggling right now. Um, where can I get advice on how to get myself out of the situation? Yeah. Same thing goes with investing in small businesses. You, you, you simply... Uh, tell people you're doing it. You mentioned your general criteria. Again, mine was, you know, I can't dump a ton of money, but it needs to be something where they can take the capital, use it within a week and and make more revenue from that capital. It isn't a long-term, you know, play where they're putting this money to use and they're, they're getting a return in 10 years and I'm getting it in 11. (laughs) This is a, you know, they buy products for a, they sell it for a plus 50% but they can't buy enough products. Great. I'll, I'll invest. Yeah. Or it's a, um, 
You know, they have three salespeople uh, and themselves, and each one of them is hitting their number. Uh, they need uh, a, a fourth or a fifth. Sure, let's let's get you that extra salesperson. I can invest money. I can also just help you find those people and yeah. save you some time. Um, what you just have to know is, like, what are you skilled at doing? What's your comfort level with what you're willing to risk? Once you understand what your risk level is, it, you, you'll realize it's not that big of a risk. Um you know, yeah, certainly you're investing in somebody else and they might lose your money, but there's a real comfort in investing in things that you fully understand. Then yeah. you know that if things went bad, you can call the owner and you can you can help them. You can tell them how yes. to go make the next sale, how to find the next client. Um, yes. You can get you can introduce them to people. Um, yeah. there's it's a, it's amazing what you can do to mitigate risk when you understand what you're doing. So, you know, one company is a, is a flooring company, um, purchased equipment, helped generate some business. When, uh, when there was, he got a little bit overwhelmed and and then, um, found kind of a lull. I knew that we could generate some additional business for him. So there was never any amount of stress that we could go find somebody else for him to do these jobs for. So, yeah, just understand what you want to invest in. Stay within those bounds. Opportunities present themselves all the time. Unfortunately, I'm not so wealthy that I can invest in everything. So I've had a lot of great things too. come my way that I just frankly haven't had enough money to um, to invest in. Um, but but then there's usually someone else who, who will. Uh, yeah, yeah. So expand your network and recommend those people to others. I mean, geez, one of the... Uh, one of the biggest deals that I was involved in this last year, I, I, I had nothing to do with. I just, I could not make a certain investment cause it was, it was really big. And, uh, but I knew exactly who could and I know exactly why it made sense for them. And it, it took them all of like two minutes to fully understand what it was and to, and to start a deal with this company. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's gone <laughs> off so well. Uh, That's really cool. So, yeah, I mean, sorry if that isn't, I mean, I'm not like a, a no, that's, investor who has a, a book on what to do, but yeah, know your no, limits, know your risk, invest in things that you get, you understand, set expectations so that you're never expecting more than what you should expect. Um, you're not burdening them emotionally or financially with something that they can't use. Um, you know, look to invest in uh, time and resources and knowledge as much as you do with money, because, you know, there are some businesses that really, they know exactly what they're going to do with the money. All they're going to do is buy inventory and sell it. But others, before you're willing to give them your money, make sure that they are willing to take the advice, um, and expand the way that they go to, that they go to market. Otherwise you might just be helping them pay their bills and not really investing in their business. Yeah, that's a good point. I like what you said. The, the key phrase I got out of that was like invest in businesses that you can, that you have experience in and that you can call the owner up and be like, Hey, uh, like X, Y, and Z, right? Like I can see there's something going on and I, this is how we can help. And because it works for everybody, right? Like they, they eventually scale and make the money they need to make. You make the money you need to make and it's a win-win and you can control that. Whereas like if your money's in a, in a 401k, like you don't really get to pick all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, and again, that, this is just me as a reminder. This is yeah, only, yeah, so I yeah. have a, a cousin who is a incredibly creative 
data only, you know, data driven only investor. He does not care about the business as long as the numbers pan out and they get him a certain return. (laughs) Cool. Uh, And by the way, he's enormously successful. Yeah. Yeah. Great. But when something goes bad, he doesn't really care that much about it because that's factored into his entire portfolio. And I'll say, well, you know, how did you make cool. that mistake? And I'll say, oh, I don't know. It, it just didn't work out. Well, did you see any signs? Like, no, I invested in the, in the, the data. I invested in the metrics, in the yeah, in the ratios. And yeah. I baked in a certain level of failure and that life is wonderful. And I'm just like, <laughs> man, I, I, that's cool. I don't think I could do that personally. Yeah. That's Whereas, tough. I mean, he owns, he owns real estate. He's never seen, has no interest in ever seeing it. He couldn't care less. <laughs> he got a picture of it. He knows what his return on investments are. He He's finds got all it. the numbers. Yep. He finances it in super interesting ways that I couldn't even think about. He gets a return and he, he will never step foot on that property. And he's looking for as many more as he possibly can. And um, it's me on the other hand, you know, I, I'm just yeah. not that type of person. Yeah, no, that's, that's way good to hear. Well, uh, I appreciate it, Mark. I appreciate all the words and I appreciate the time. And, and, uh, is there, uh, how can people follow? I mean, obviously they can follow you on LinkedIn. Is that pretty much where you're at now? Yeah. If, I mean, I'll, I'll try not to disappoint anybody. I like, don't, don't give them too many expectations, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if there's any place, I mean, I have Instagram, but that's really just like, you know, photos of me in one they, season, you know, <laughs> golfing with my family. But cool. LinkedIn is sort of where I go just to post my thoughts and communicate with people. And Great. Um, the only thing I'll say to people is, you know, I'll probably comment back. Sometimes I don't, don't take it personally, but sure. you know, if you, if you challenge me, I love it. Um, but just please make sure, you know, know that <laughs> if you, if you bring up something that's really interesting, I, I want to converse about it. So, you know, don't, don't drop a bomb on me. And then not reply when I've replied back and tried to get a good conversation going. So at least, yeah. at least respect me enough to converse with me after you've told me that I'm a raving lunatic. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Well, hey, thank you so much, Mark. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and end this uh, live stream real quick. Okay, buddy. Okay, cool. Well, hey, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got it. I'm going to go have dinner. Hey, have a good night. Okay, talk to you later. I'll see you.